0: Take us with you. Download HIV care tools today.
1: Welcome to Nika in the know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Bratman. Today, we're sitting down with John Faragon once again to discuss an update about the use of integrase strand transfer inhibitors in second line regimens. Welcome again, John.
2: Thanks so much for having me here once again, Mariana.
1: So John, let's just jump right in. Why are we talking about integrated strand transfer inhibitors or INSTEs today?
2: Yeah, so thanks um, for, for allowing me to talk about this, uh, this topic today. I, I think, um, I thought we would review some of this new data on some of the regimens that have looked at the use of uh, INSTEs or integrated strand transfer inhibitors in some of our treatment experienced patients. So I think um, many of you who do HIV care or probably realize a lot of this data is coming from outside of the U S and a lot of it has to do with in places where they're using some of the world health organization regimens. And really the, the integration inhibitors sometimes are, are, are used in some of those second and third line um, regimens, but they really do apply to us here. As we look at switch regimens from patients who may be either failing or may have tolerability issues with some of the older regimens that patients might be on. And a lot of times providers have already switched people onto, onto some of these but I think in some ways, this is some of the questions we often get about patients who are under the NDHIV um, the epidemic plan. So one of the things that we get questions on is about virologic suppression, and that's one of the work groups that actually I'm on. So in particular, this virologic suppression group gets some of these, um, gets some of these questions. So, so really the, the question is, how do we apply some of the recent data to the patients requesting a switch or for those who may be on an older regimen and you're trying to figure out what you should do for them? And in some cases, they may actually be failing their current regimen. So I think a few studies uh, that I recently reviewed, I think, highlight some of this. And um, the first thing I'm going to talk uh, quick about um, is the uh, is the 2SD study. Um, and this is part of the CROI studies from 2022. But we never reviewed it during our CROI updates in the last couple of weeks. Um, uh, this was an open-label study that was done in Kenya, actually, and um people were on second line protease inhibitor regimens with ritonavir as the booster. So not cobi but ritonavir. And they they were combined with two nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors, and they were on therapy for at least 24 weeks. And they had to be undetectable for at least 12 weeks prior to to the switch and and have no prior integration exposure. These are people on PIs um, in two nukes, basically undetectable for the last 12 weeks and then, you know, basically their integrase genome is, is assumingly clear because they haven't been exposed to an integrase in, in, in the past. So what they did at that point was randomize people. Um, and again, no ART resistance test was done ahead of time, but they randomized one-to-one for patients to either switch to dolutegavir plus two nukes, and that was about just under 400 subjects, or continue the PI ritonavir plus two nukes and about 400 subjects. So basically the, the test is whether or not The PI ritonavir is going to be, uh, you know, sustaining that. Will the the WTG request two nukes do just as good as the PI or better and determine, you know, what the difference is? And again, there's always these primary endpoints of viral load greater than 500 copies. They use these standard non-inferiority margins, um, and they look at roughly 48-week data. So that's kind of the background of kind of how, how the study was done.
1: Got it. So what did the baseline characteristics look like?
2: Yeah, so it's always important for us to know this, right? And, and you know, when you're looking at studies, Mariana, you always want to make sure that you're taking a look at what they look like to see if it applies to your population. But average age was of 46, 66% were females. CD4 range from 397 to 438. That's important for us to know because, you know, these are patients who are under, undetectable and suppressed, right? So they weren't new patients. So their T cells tend to be pretty high. Um, 53% were on TDF3TC. And then 43% were on um, zidovidine 3TC and 4% on anabocovir 3TC. So again, those, those combinations all with 3TC is pretty much what's used in a lot, of the, a lot of the places outside outside of the U.S.
1: And John, so what did they find?
2: Um, so they found that switching to dolutegravir plus two nukes, and again, comparing that to the pro, the PI ritonavir arm was basically non-inferior to that protease inhibitor-containing regimen And if you look at virologic failure, was about 5% in each arm. And if you look at the people who are undetectable by less than 50 copies, it was 91 versus 92%. So again, this is telling us that people who are suppressed, if you switch them to another regimen, they usually stay suppressed, right? That's the most important piece, I think, is that people stay there. What was interesting, though, is that if you looked at, um, there was no detectable resistance among patients who had um, protocol-defined virologic failure, and discontinuations were less than one percent, which I think really highlights the excellent excellent tolerability we have come to known, uh, come to know with these integrase based regimens. And so, how do we apply this, Mariana? That's important, right? I think the big missing piece um, of the big Tegavir TAF fdc is really the lack of data and people in their on their second or third regimens. So this kind of helps us to look at do you in the study in setting another second generation integrase and. Some people may take this and extrapolate the data to big big Tegravir, but the really the really the data here is really just with dolutegravir. Uh and, and in this study, it shows that switching people who are undetectable off of older regimens works. And you really just have to be careful, I think, if you do remove the booster. So, again, not continuing people on um, on their boosted PI. You have to make sure that you actually do um, uh, that, you're able uh, to. Uh, to, to, to relook at drug interactions for those patients. Because again, removing, you're removing the booster and you want to make sure you look at drug interactions. That's an important piece.
1: What other important data do providers need to know about all of this?
2: Yeah, so, so another thing that's important, um, I, I think, is uh, is you have to make sure that we also um, look at patients who are on their second-line regimen. And, and I think another thing that's important is that we, we have this uh, this next study called the VSEN study, which is very similar, which is looking at open-label patients who were failing on an the verapine plus TDF3TC. This was done in Zambia. Um, who were actually switched to either a PI-based regimen or a dilutegavir-based regimen. It's almost kind of the same story, but these were people who were failing their regimen and then randomized to a boosted PI or dilutegavir. And they stratified people by viral load greater than or less than 100,000 copies. Uh, In the the less than um, 1,000-copy arm received dilutegavir with either 3TC plus TDF, or FTC-TAF. So now you start to see some of the TAF regimens starting to come in as well, and the 209 patients in each arm. And then the greater than 100,000 copies received either w with either 3TC-TDF or TAF or FTC-TAF. Um, and then there were some patients that actually received l ritonavir 3 3TC-zidobidine, which is Combivir, or Adazanivir, ritonavir Combivir. So basically what you're looking at is two arms of w right, with two different nuke backbones. And then you're looking at basically cletra or Addison of your with two different backbones and trying to follow people to see to see what happens.
1: Can you talk a little bit about the results of all of this?
2: Um, yeah. So importantly the big story here is that switching to WTEGavir Plus FTAF was non-inferior to dual plus 3TC plus TDF. 88 and 85 percent people got und- got undetectable, uh, and those were the patients with a baseline viral load of less than a thousand copies. I think many of us are aware, but the TAF does cause some weight gain, so weight gain was higher for the FTAF. It was 2.8 kilograms versus 1.1 kilograms. For TDF, And again, all those patients in that piece were on dolutegavir. In arm B, this is where you kind of look at some of the protease inhibitor versus dolutegavir. Again, weight gain in the dolutegavir arms was higher, and especially for women on FTAF, it was 5.7 kilograms versus 3.1 kilograms on TDF. So TAF was 5.7. TDF was 3.1 in women. Uh, weight gain for men um, was 3.4 kilograms for FTAF, 4.6 for TDF, FTC. But those of your arms, they remain undetectable at 48 weeks, and it's ranged from 83 to 86%. Well, I think what's, what's a little concerning here is that the boosted PIs really did drop off. And if you look at some of this 48-week data... Uh, um, it drops off to 69% for Cletra, Combivir and 81% for Adaxanavir, Ritonavir, Combivir. So the point with that, Mariana, is that you have patients on boosted PIs just don't do as well. And it's probably, in my mind, related to tolerability either from combivir or from the boosted PI. But even Adaxanavir Ratonavir did better than Cletra. Again, Cletra is, you know, probably a little bit more difficult to take, but even Adaxanavir Ritonavir at 81%, at least numerically. Didn't, uh, didn't do as well as, as deletegravir did in, in, in the study. So it's interesting to look at this and to think of, you know, how do we, you know, picking that that integrase-based regimen versus people who are failing is, is probably preferred over picking somebody, you know, picking a, a, boosted, a boosted PI.
1: So, John, are there any other studies out there regarding NNRTI failures that you could talk about?
2: Um, yeah. So, so the last study I was going to cover today was the, the NADIA study. Um, this is an interesting study looking at 400, a little over 460 people from seven sites, Uganda, Kenya, and, and Zimbabwe. This was an open label non-inferiority trial um, with non-nukes plus TDF with either FTC or QETC. So again, it's people who are failing a non-nucleoside with either tenofovir, with, with either FTC or 3TC. Um, and then people were switched to diutegavir or darunavir ritonavir So again, that same story, switching to an integrated strand transfer inhibitor, second generation diutegavir or darunavir ritonavir plus either 3TC-TDF, which is basically tenofovir plus epivir, or Combovir, 3-TC-cydovidine. So again, notice Combovir kind of pops in here again too. It's one of those regimens that they use for, for, for patients in some of these regimens. Um, 60% at baseline were women, uh, CD4 uh, count uh, was fifty. about 50% had T-cells less than 200. Viral loads greater than 100,000 uh, was about uh, 28%. And if you look at the proportion of trial enrollees, with either an intermediate or high level resistance. It was 59% for tenofovir, 18% for ZovD, 92% for 3TC. So I want to make sure everybody's clear on this. These are people who are on basically a non-new plus TDF FTC. So when we talk about high level resistance to tenofovir, a lot of these patients had case 65R. So for me, I have never seen a number this high, but it's about 60% of people in this study actually had TDF resistance. Uh, when it was combined with an NNRTI, so it just goes to show that these are some numbers from third, you know, from the from from Uganda, Kenya, Zimbabwe, not ex, US sites, really showing high levels of tenofovir resistance, which I think is just amazing. Um, to have that many people. Um, and if you look at, say, resistance it's 18%, which again, you would expect because there's no real pressure for that. And then 92% had 3TC resistance likely and, and then 184V. So the switch to doetegravir plus two nukes was non-inferior to darunavir retonavir plus two nukes. So they did well in both arms. Regardless of the baseline characteristics or randomized NRTIs, um, we saw similar re- rates of virologic rebound. But the interesting thing here is that though resistance, um resistance uh, um, did occur um, in those people, uh, maintaining the 3TC plus TDF was superior to switching to zidovudine 3TCs, that did better. And 90% of people... Uh, were undetectable with less than 400 copies on doetegavir versus 87% in the durinavir-ritonavir. So those numbers are pretty close. They're not inferior, right? It's a little bit numerically lower for durinavir-ritonavir, but basically the same number. So these switch these switches to doetegavir-boosted PI did really well. Where you see some of the differences, though, is in the Nuke backbone, there was a a significant difference between the people who were randomized to TDF versus zydovidine. And overall, 92% of people were undetectable versus 85% of people on the zydovidine arm. So 91% for TDF, um, uh, 84.85% roughly for zydovidine. So about a six or 7% difference in in TDF versus zydovidine with tunnel for your DDF doing better. So it really shows superiority of maintaining TDF 3TC versus switching to zidovudine 3TC. So again, important because this may change some of the second-line regimens that you use in, in the third world, and even had made a potentially of implications for the World Health Organization uh, guidelines. And a higher proportion taking TDF versus zidovudine had a viral load below 50 copies at week 96, but that difference lacks statistical significance. So. The bottom line here is a high proportion of people randomized to dutegravir than to darunavir had adverse events leading to stopping uh, study drug, not much, 1.7.0.4. Zidovidine so rather than tenofir had a higher rate of, of grade three or adverse events. So it's 2.2 versus zero four point zero point four percent And 80% of those viral sequences for resistance mutations. This is a really important point too, Mariana, is that if you look at resistance, there were six people who got who, who had acquired intermediate or high level integrase resistance. And two of them actually, after study week 48 and five of them, and the people also taking zydovidine. And then there was no resistance to the runavir um, uh, in, in this study. So the point here is that again, boosted PIs, right? No resistance, doyotegavir or even second generation integrase inhibitors, some resistance, very rare, but again, has potential some some, some implications for, for some patients.
1: So we've covered a lot. <laughs> what is the bottom line for healthcare providers here?
2: Yeah, it is a lot to kind of kind of um, to kind of digest. But I think the important here is that darunavir plus two nukes really yields um, some durable HIV suppression. As those second uh, second line regimens, especially those people uh, you know who may be failing, but they have there's very good virologic response rates and they're equivalent. But the darunavir/ritonavir resistance profile was basically better than darunavir in some of these studies. So keeping um, the TDF/3TC was superior to switching to zidovudine/3TC. This calls into question really that the World Health Organization recommendation of um, switching from TDF to, to 3TC, to and 3TC, and second-line therapy, because patients did fail more frequently in the zedobinine 3TC arm. And even the resistance rates, with, when it's compared with doetegavir, were higher than what you would see, um, the, numerically higher than what you saw in the TDF 3TC. So the, um, the doetegavir plus two nukes really works well. I think as second and third line regimens, I think with good tolerability. And I think also with low rates of of resistance, although, you know, you do see the the difference between boosted PIs uh, in in that, in that Nadia study versus doetegavir. It helps us, I think, to feel more comfortable, Mariana, in switching people off of some of her older regimens onto doetegavir plus two nukes and also highlights the tolerability and efficacy of zidovidine 3TC as the NRTI backbone. We don't use a lot of that in the U.S., and I think it really, this, I think, confirms why we don't um, for some of these reasons. Uh, doetegavir you plus two nukes really yields durable HIV suppression, you know, as a second-line regimen with virologic response rates equivalent, but clearly the darunavir retinavir resistance profile was better than the doetegavir, you so keeping this TDF3TC was superior to switching to zidovudine. So again, calling into question uh, so, some of those guidelines for, for second line second line therapy. You know, the bottom line here is I think we really have some really good studies supporting dovitakavir and potentially the application of this to to Bic-tegavir, um if if you're willing to take that step um, for for second line regimens for for people who may be failing.
1: John, thanks so much for joining us and telling us about these recent studies involving instids and why they matter for HIV providers. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about NECA AETC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.necaaetc.org. That's www.necaaetc.org. If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today, or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at nicaaetc.org. That's p-o-d-c-a-s-t at nicaaetc.org. Stay safe, and we'll see you on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the Know. This presentation is supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS. The contents are those of the authors and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement by HERSA, HHS, or the U.S. government.